Father, your love is unconditional. And your love is so different than any kind of love that this world has to offer that when we actually experience it, we know how real and true it is. Because you loved us so much that you sacrificed your son on the cross so we might have the forgiveness of sins. You did what none of us would do, could do. Because you so loved us. So when we sing, Father, we hope, we pray that you hear our appreciation of your love. And that you hear the joy that we have because of your love, the peace that we have because of your love. And that the person sitting next to us that might not know that kind of love can hear it from us. That you are a God of love. And see in us that we love because you first loved us. We love you, Jesus. Help us today, please. Lead us today in your love. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Y'all may be seated. Y'all, and I'm not even from Texas. We were in a series, well, we're trying to be in a series, if the pastor would show up, on faith. 
And we're using Hebrews chapter 11 as the um, study. And the title is Finding Your Inner Superhero. And that's because I believe that each one of us who knows Christ as our Savior has the ability to have the kind of faith lives that God shows in Hebrews chapter 11. I think sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we think, oh, I could never do that. I think you'd be amazed at what you could do if you just let God do what he wants to do within you. Maybe. Because maybe some of you don't want that. I think this is a, a, story, a, a series of stories of faith that should be examples for us. And there's pieces of them that, that we can learn from what God wants to do within us and through us and to us if we would let him. Today we're studying Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 through 29. And if you don't know anything about Moses, he's a significant player in the Bible. So I'm just going to touch just a little bit of his life. As a child, he was born to Jewish parents who were in Egyptian slavery. At his birth, there was a prophecy in Egypt that there was a Savior that was going to be born to the children of the Jews. And it was going to be a male. And so they killed all the male boys so that that Savior couldn't be born. But his mother and father trusted God. Let that be said about you. Amen? Amen. That your mother and father trusted God. And instead of drowning him in the river, they put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile towards an Egyptian princess. And Moses became part of the royal family. And just how God works it out, the mother got to be the nursemaid for Moses. And for 40 years, Moses was a prince of Egypt. He was very educated. He was part of the royal court. And this was said about Moses in Acts chapter 7 and verse 22. It says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. So Moses wasn't just part of the family. Moses was a major part of the royal family. In the first 40 years of his life, that's, that's how he lived as a member of the royal family of, the, of Egypt. But he faced a crucial decision that he had to decide, would he become a full-fledged Egyptian and worship their gods, or would he become the Jew that he was and follow their God? Notice it said God, not gods, because there's only one God to the Jews and there's only one God to us. Which brings us to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. Where the scripture teaches, by faith, Moses. Now this wasn't a faith. Remember, we talked about what faith is. Faith isn't just something that we say we have and that we, that we believe in. It's actually shown by the actions of your life. It's like lived out. Be living is believing. If you ain't be living, you're not believing. That was free. <laughs> kind of help you out a little bit. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, when he was grown up, anybody want to guess at what age that was? 40. And I, I want to just throw something in here real quick just to give you a little, I want to interrupt the, the scripture for a second just to give you some understanding. So how do you can apply it today? I believe Christianity is a lot like dog years. 
When you're a Christian for one year, you're about a seven-year-old in your faith. When you're in it two years, you're about a 14-year-old. You're, you're trying to figure out whether you really want to follow Jesus or not. You're a little bit rebellious. You've got that teenage angst going on. Okay, you don't get that. <laughs> when you're in it three years, you're about 21 years old. You're trying to decide whether you're going to party or whether you're going to pray and follow Jesus. Year four, you're about 28, and you start having kids. Year five, you're 35, and you realize you've got to take care of those kids. You've got to support them. You've got to man up. You've got to grow up. Amen? Amen. So those of you that are under 35, you've got a few more years before you have to actually take care of your kids. <laughs> that was a joke. Some of you had so many kids early that you have to grow up fast, right? Six years into it, six years into Christianity, you should realize there's more to Christianity than just you taking care of yourself and someone taking care of you as a child. There's a point in time where you've got to grow up, you've got to man up, you've got to... And then it gets worse the older you get. And I don't want to add those seven years on there. So for those of you that are about six, seven years into your Christianity, let's just say six years into your Christianity, maybe even five. Some of you are maybe a little more mature. Maybe you're four years into Christianity. This sermon's for you. If you're newer to that, you need to listen and just enjoy me dealing with the more mature people. If you're beyond that and you're still not doing what Moses did, you better come back and repent. Welcome back, Pastor Andy. Thank you. I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, there's a time when we all got to grow up. Can we just say that? In our faith. There's a point in time where our faith has to go beyond somebody else teaching us what the Bible says and telling us what to do and telling us to do right. And there's a point to where you got to stop running away from God and running back into the world and then coming back like being a prodigal son all the time. That's what 21-year-olds do. Three years into Christianity. When he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't just say, no, I don't want to be called that. He refused it. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Think about that. When he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Think about it this way. By faith, Moses gave up Jeff Bezos-type money. to be mistreated with the people of God. Moses gave up Elon Musk type money. He gave it up. He refused it. To be mistreated with the people of God. He considered the reproach of Christ, the rejection of Christ, the, the, the sacrifice of Christ, the suffering of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. 
That's a huge statement. When he grew up, he gave up the things of the world for the things of God. And it wasn't just in word, it was in deed. He was willing to be mistreated with God's people. Rather to enjoy even momentary life chosen by himself. Makes you wonder what you're looking for in life. Are you looking for Jeff Bezos' money? If I could just win the lottery? What was it, a billion dollars a couple weeks ago? wonder how many of you played. Please don't raise your hands. <laughs> because you thought that that money would solve all of your problems. No. And it only cost you what? How much did it cost you? <laughs> I'm just... Two bucks? Ten bucks? I mean, now that you've grown up, what are you looking for in life? Some of you have been in this faith life for a while now. What are you looking for? Are you looking for the riches of the world? Are you looking for a reward from God? So I think all of us come to a point in time where we've got to either grow up or give up. See, the problem with finding this life that we're looking for is Jesus said this about it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those that enter it are by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Real life, true life, the kind of life that God offers humanity, which is the best life possible. Elon Musk money is not the kind of life that we should be going for. But how many of us are trying to get that kind of life? There was a rich young ruler who tried to live in both worlds, and he was trying to uh, find his way to eternal life. And he asked Jesus, he said, how, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, do all these things according to the word of God. And he says, I've done those things since in my childhood. And Jesus said, okay, well, here's the real problem. You've got money, and money's your God. So Jesus told this rich young ruler, he said, go sell all that you have and don't just sell it, give it to the poor and, you'll, and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says he went away sad. Why? Because he wanted to live in both worlds and couldn't. You can't serve God and money, the scripture teaches. You can't have it one way and the other way. And so Jesus, thinking about that moment, looks at a camel and he points to this camel and he says, hey guys, let me tell you something. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Jesus is saying that it's hard. This is a hard decision. What I'm teaching you today, what I'm going to teach you today is difficult. It's not as easy as what you think I'm just up here saying, you know, you should just surrender your life to God and give up the world. That's not an easy task. I mean, if you had Jeff Bezos' money and God came to you and said, give it all up, give it to the poor, I think most of us would have a hard time with that. We would give half of it. Okay, we'd give three quarters of it. Okay, we'd be like Bill Gates and give most of it away, but we would hold on to the stuff that 
Am I the only one that feels that way, or is this an easy thing for you? Jesus said that this isn't impossible to enter into eternal life with God this way. Because all things are possible with God. But the choice is difficult. And I want you to understand, what, that's what I'm going to tell you today. The choice that, that Moses made to live by faith was a hard choice to make. It's a great faith issue that we have. I don't know if you remember what we talked about the theme of Hebrews was, but the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus gives us the best life possible. And that faith isn't what we say to be true, it's what our life shows to be true. Meaning that it's not enough to say you believe something if it's not affecting your daily choices. I mean, if you really believe in Jesus Christ, if you really believe the songs that we sang, if you really believe the word of God, if you really believe that God is who the Bible tells us God is, then this should be an easy decision for us to make if we're mature. If we're young in the faith, if we're new to this, that's a little bit too much. I mean, it's enough for me just to get up and get to church on Sunday morning. My kids are screaming. We heard them in the foyer. <laughs> that's okay. We have people who will take care of that, and they'll do a good job with them. But for those of you that have been in this for a while, and this is one of the things that I'm seeing in modern-day Christianity, a lot of Christians that have been following Christ for a long time but have been in the same place for most of their spiritual life. They say they have faith, but there's things they wouldn't give up for the faith. See, our daily battle should be summarized in this. Is my life about me or is it about God? Those are for the mature believers. So in Acts chapter 7, Stephen talks about Moses too, and he gives us some insight that I think is important to read. He said in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, speaking of Moses, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So he was still part of the Pharaoh's family. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him and striking him down the, striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. What happened to Moses at 40 years old? He noticed people were hurting and suffering. He noticed his people were struggling and striving and not getting anywhere. How many of you have noticed in our world how hard life is for people today? This, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, I was preparing this sermon and I was also doing a study on evangelism and I was down here about five o'clock in the morning and I, about six o'clock in the morning I went for a walk because that's what I do, I go for walks around the building. Now that I can walk, I walk around the building. <laughs> And uh, I walked out to the front door, and there was a guy sitting on the concrete. This is 6 o'clock in the morning. There's this guy just sitting on the concrete. And the Spirit of God says, go talk to him about Jesus. My spirit said, but I've got to go study about how to talk to people about Jesus. <laughs> and the Spirit of God said, go talk to this guy about Jesus. And my, my, my spirit said, or my spirit said, I, I really got to study about Jesus. 
And I went out there and I spoke with him and I talked to him. And I realized he knew Christ, but he was struggling in his life. And it's so easy for us to miss that the people are hurting, people are struggling. People are, we, we look at the homeless problem and, and it's a problem to us because they're a problem to us. Not realizing that's not a good life for them. And yet, how many homeless people do we actually talk to? You look at the average marriage today, it's a disaster, it's a mess. Couples who have said that they're going to love each other forever, love each other barely. And they're broken and they're hurting. How many people are having mental problems today? Stress and anxiety. And they need Jesus. But we're so busy, we're so frustrated by it because we don't want to talk to this person because they're just going to keep talking about their problems. Well, they've got problems they need to talk about. Maybe you could shut them up by talking to them about Jesus. Because they'll either listen to you and trust Jesus as their Savior, and He'll solve all their problems, or they'll stop talking to you, and then you're free. It's just a freebie. Came into his heart to visit his brothers. Moses had a heart for people. There comes a point in time in, in the Christian life where it can either be all about you or it becomes all about them. Some of the greatest experiences I've had ministry-wise have been dealing with broken people, hurting people, struggling people. It's some of the most fulfilling life to be lived. To see somebody who is far from God come to know God as their Savior and then draw closer to God than they've ever come before and let them have the, see them have the peace of God which passes all understanding where before they had no understanding and now through Jesus Christ they've got great understanding what peace is. Seeing unhappy people come to find Jesus and be happy. Okay, you're just going to listen today, I can tell. <laughs> There comes a point in time where if you don't have a heart for people, you'll never take this step of faith. Your money will be about you. Your time will be about you. Your service will be about you. It'll be all about you. Moses had a heart for people. 1 John 3.14, I've quoted this several times lately. This has really been on my heart. But we know we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You know you're saved because you love helping the brothers. This love just isn't in word. It's seen in your sacrificial deeds. First uh, John 3, 16 says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought, to, if we really love the way that God loves us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Moses had such a heart for people, he saw one of them being wronged, and he stepped in and did something about it. He didn't stand back and take a video of it on his phone. That was free. What's slightly humorous to me that is in defending his fellow citizens or the act of him showing love, the very people he fought for fought him. Now, you're going to experience, if you actually start having a heart for people, the people you have a heart for probably aren't going to want what you're offering them. And they're going to reject you. They're going to turn you away. They're going to push you aside. 
Scripture goes on to say in Acts chapter 7, verse 26, In the following day he appeared to them, Moses appeared to them as they were quarreling, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, your brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill us as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? It's amazing how you'll want to help people. You'll have a heart for people, and you'll want to help them, and they'll actually start tearing you down. It's just a simple thought, but sometimes your faith gets accepted by people and sometimes it gets rejected. The question is, do you keep helping people? Do you keep having a heart for people? Do you keep loving people even though they don't accept your love? Especially when you're calling them out on sin. See, I believe Moses thought like most of us think, if you just love people and fight for them enough, they'll follow you out of bondage. If people could just see that we're trying to help them, if they could see the love that we have for them, if, if maybe they, they, they would see that and they would follow us to freedom in Christ. But instead, Moses got rejected. Have you ever been rejected by somebody that you've tried to love? Did you quit loving them? Did you walk away from them? Did you give up on them? Or did you keep loving them? See, Moses did what I think a lot of us do. Scripture says in Acts 7, 29, this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became a father of two sons, meaning that he gave his life to people and they rejected him and it drove him into the desert. Sometimes helping people gets you to a place where you'll not want to help people anymore. Some of you have been involved in ministry and you've, you've sacrificed your life and you've suffered for people and you've served them and you've loved them and encouraged them and, and you've called them out on their sin and then they turn their backs on you and you just say, fine, fine, if that's the way you're going to go, I'm just going to go out in the desert. I'm just going to take care of myself. Come on now. Have some of you done that? But I loved them and I cared for them and I called them out on the sin. I was just trying to help them out. But they didn't want that help. They attacked me. They called out my sin. Now, the desert's not necessarily bad. But for Moses, it was another 40 years before anything happened in his life. I think the desert can be a good time, but the desert can be a waste of time too. Amen. See, that desert can also be a place where something spectacular happens. When you pull away from people. It's normal. I get it. I've done it. I've got to the place where I got tired of preaching truth and love in love and have people just say, you know what, I don't want to hear what you have to say. You're just being a jerk. And then you call me out on being a jerk, and I probably was a jerk, so it's probably... <laughs> a friend of mine spoke to me about this subject of the desert, and he, he said this about deserts. I'm going to quote him word for word. He said, generally, when the scriptures speak of God's people in a desert, it's a place of testing. 
place that strips all the way that we usually depend upon. And the hardship humbles us and shows us the condition of our hearts. And he quoted Deuteronomy 8, 2, which says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. See, I think sometimes, especially when we're new at this sacrificing our life for other people, and people reject us, we find out whether we really were serving them or serving ourselves. Because if we're serving ourselves, we want something back from that. We want appreciation. We want acceptance. We want love. We want whatever they can offer us. But the truth is, most people don't offer that to you. Most people will reject you if you try to help them, unless you help them the way they want to be helped. And so what the desert does, it shows that in your heart that you were actually probably trying to serve people in your own power, in your own way, in your own self, so that you would get something from it. Because you want to get a pat on the back. I know a lot of preachers quit the ministry because the church doesn't appreciate them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Look forward to it. Moses gave up the good life for this. See, some of you don't have to mess with people. You don't have to serve people. You can just serve yourself. You can just take care of yourself. You can just live for you. It can be all about you. You can trust Christ to be your Savior, be born again, have your sins forgiven, surrender to God, and just live for you. But that's what an immature believer does. I mean, could you imagine a 35-year-old acting like a 7-year-old? Take care of me. Feed me. 7-year-olds don't cook their own meals, or they shouldn't cook their own meals. They should be cooked by their parents. Is that a subject we should pick up for another day? <laughs> Some of you shouldn't only feed off of the preaching of the Word of God that happens on a Sunday morning. You should be in the book all day, all week long. You shouldn't be relying on somebody else's prayer. You should be able to pray yourself. Lost my place. Moses gave up the good life for something greater. He, he loved his brothers even though they didn't love him back. And he left everything to live in a distant place from everyone he knew. And he did so for a long time. For 40 years in the desert, he heard nothing from God. So he stepped out to serve, got rejected, and then for 40 years, he didn't hear from God. I'm just going to throw this free thing out here. God doesn't always answer your prayers the next day. It might take 40 years. But how many of you stop praying because he doesn't give you that prayer that day? He doesn't answer it. He doesn't respond. You don't hear anything from God. Well, I, I hear people, people say this all the time. Well, I'm not hearing anything from God. Well, maybe you're in the desert. Because here's the cool thing that happened in the desert when, when it got to the end of that 40 years. Which, that means Moses is 80 years old now. Just so you know, I am only 59. <laughs> so great things won't happen until I'm 80. I got 21 years to go. Those of you that are 80, you should be hearing from God all the time. This should be awesome. When, he was 40, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness at Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. 
When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. And there came a voice of the Lord, and there came the voice of the Lord, and there came the voice of the Lord, and there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take the sandals off your feet, for the place you're standing is holy ground. God spoke to Moses. Clearly, God spoke to Moses. And he said this in verse 34. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. Now come, I will send you to them. You know what God said? God said, I see what you see, Moses. I see people in struggles. I see the homeless. I see the addicts. I see the drunks. I see the broken marriages. I see what you see. I see the same things that you see that's going on. I see the division that's in this country. I see it all. I see the problems with abortion. I see the problems with alcoholism. I hear their cries for help. But I'm going to send you back to Egypt to free them. What he's saying is your life has not been wasted in following me. I've got something more significant than you ever imagined. Have you ever thought about that? God might actually have something more significant for your life than you've ever imagined. More significant, more significant than Jeff Bezos' money. More significant than having the nicest house in town, nice car, nice whatever, whatever you're after. Nice boat, nice motorhome, nice chair. When you get to my age, you look at chairs like that. He's, Used to left after, left after trucks, now it's after a comfortable chair anywhere. <laughs> Would it be worth giving up the pleasures of sin for a chance to experience God to that level? Would it be worth defending the defenseless for a chance to experience God to that level? Would it be worth living in exile for most of your life for the chance to experience God to that level? Like... Not hearing anything from God for most of your life. Knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior, trusting Him, and just being faithful and serving God, but Him not telling you anything clearly until you're 80 years old. Would it be worth waiting till you're 80 for God to speak to you clearly? Would you choose slavery in the service of God's people just to experience a moment like that with God? So I think most of us would say, I'd, I'll take the world. I'll take money. I'll take comfort. Because this Jesus thing, though it's real, to actually live it the way that the scripture is teaching, it's really hard. Now Moses led the people out of suffering to a life of salvation where God again became their God and then they screwed it up and that's a whole story for another day. But Hebrews 11.26 says he considered, he thought about the reproach of Christ being greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he's looking to the reward. Have you thought about that? How heavy you're going to get into this Christianity thing? Again, if you're in it a year, you're seven years old, but we'll take care of you. We'll cook for you. We'll clean for you. We'll, take, we'll help you. We'll, we'll teach you. We'll encourage you. 
14, we'll deal with some of your rebellion. We, we get that. I, I get that. You're, you're in it two years. You're just not coming to church the way you were when you were. Because remember, isn't that the way it is? You get saved. You're on fire for Jesus the first year. And then all of a sudden, the second year, you're like, ah, I don't know. I, it's early. The pastor's just going to yell at us and say something negative to me. <laughs> Twenty-one. You're still trying to decide. You think you're grown up, but you're not really grown up. So you think you know things you don't know. I like twenty-one-year-old Christians. They've been in it about three years, and they think they know everything about the Bible, and they actually know nothing. But they're trying. Twenty-eight. You start having some kids. You start thinking you need to be responsible. Thirty-five. You've got kids. You know that there's more to Christianity than just attending a church service, maybe reading your Bible and praying. God's got more for you. He wants more for you. He wants more from you. Have you ever considered what's the most valuable thing to you in relation to God? So I studied for, he's looking for the reward and, and we could look at eternal rewards and, but the commentaries that I read didn't really have a lot to say about this reward thing so I just decided if the Bible doesn't say a lot about it, I'm going to make it up as I go. <laughs> I'm going to use the context of the text to tell you what the reward is. So here's what you get. If you, if you make this decision to surrender your life to God, if you make this decision to grow up and consider that um, I just lost my train of thought. If you consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures, if you, if you say, I'm going to give up the world, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? If I give up the world, what am I going to get for that sacrifice? What's going to be the reward that I'm looking forward to? Here's what you get. Are you ready? You get us. You get us. You get the people of God. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You get the church. Give up Jeff Bezos' money for us. Welcome. I can tell you're excited. Tell you need to repent too. <laughs> now, if you read the story of, of the people of God, they were not a perfect people. So, those of you that have had church experience, that's why you're not responding with, Yes, I get the church. Because you had the church and you didn't like her. Because she was nice to you. Now, if you story, study the story of the children of Israel, you'll find they complained about God. They were a people who complained about God. Anytime there was a problem, it was God's fault because God wasn't taking care of them the way that he was supposed to take care of them. It was always God's fault. God's fault, God's fault. So God's people, church people, people you're sitting next to you are going to complain about God all the time. God's not going to do what they want him to do. God's not going to do it the way they want him to do. God didn't answer their prayer the way they want him to answer. Not going to like it, but they're going to complain about God. They're going to complain about their pastor. I know. I know you're shocked. <laughs> the very people who... Here's what you want to listen to. You want to listen to the people that defend the pastor because they're the first that are going to attack the pastor. <laughs> That's historically true. 
in my, my life as a, as, a, as a kid growing up in church, in my life as a pastor, God's people, most pastors are trying to help people draw closer to Christ. Most pastors are trying to help people deal with their sin. Most people are in a fight for, for, in spiritual warfare for most of their ministry. And then they got to fight God's people because God's people don't like the decisions they make or the direction they go or whatever. There's always some reason to fight. You're going to find that. That's when you get us. You get us. <laughs> they complained about what God gave them. They were hungry. They were, they were hungry and they wanted God to provide for them. So God gave them manna, which was tasteless bread. It's like COVID bread. <laughs> But it fed them, and it took care of them, and he provided it for them, and they were able to pick it up every morning other than on the, on the Sabbath day. They had to pick up on the day before that double as much, so they had enough to eat the next day. But they didn't like it. They didn't like what God gave them. And then he just gave them quail, which is a tasteless bird. God's people complain about what God gives them all the time. It's that wife you gave me, Adam says. It's that husband you gave me. It's that snake that spoke to me. They complained about where God took them. They didn't like the direction God was taking them in their life. And some of you have gone through trial and tribulation, and you've been mad at God because God didn't take you into this. For some reason, you got saved, and you thought everything's going to be easy now. I'm not going to have any suffering. I'm not going to have any struggle. I'm not going to have any strife. Not true true at all. But you get mad at God when it comes upon you, and you get mad because, well, I I, I don't need this. I just need a break. How many of you said that? I just need a break from the suffering. Okay, I'm the only one. (laughs) Y'all are more holy than me. They compared their past to their present. How many of you, and don't raise your hands because it'll make you look like a fool, but how many of you honestly have said at some point in time, it was easier for me before I got saved? And you forget what it was like before you got saved. But you thought it was easier for me in my past. You're going to be, that's who you get when you surrender your life to God. You get us, the people of God. But there's another side of that story that you don't see. Together they saw enslaved people transformed into free people. You know what we get to see all the time? People who are enslaved to their sin be freed from the sin because of what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. And by them trusting Christ as their Savior, their sins are forgiven. And now they're free from that sin that has bound them their whole life. We get to see that. We get to witness that. And I, I, I'm, I'm just shocked. Uh, we had a, a young lady trust Christ as her Savior this week. Is that right, Elsie? And we should be rejoicing. Yeah, thank you. I'm waiting for someone to be excited about somebody getting born again. Together they saw the miraculous provision of God. We get to see God provide for us in ways that we never imagined. As a church, we get to see God provide for you personally. And through that provision that you get, we get to hear the story of that. And we get to celebrate and praise God for all that he's doing in your life. And you get to celebrate in our life. Together they saw God keep his promises to them. That's the people of God. We get to see God do things in our life. 
and in the lives of those around us. Is that not enough to give up the world to see God work in a people? That yes, they complain and yes, they struggle and yes, they fight with each other. But they're God's people. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, but as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another. I'm sorry, my King James is getting mixed up with my ESV and I can't don't have my glasses on. <laughs> but encouraging one another and so much the more as you see the day drawing near. We get to together encourage one another in every aspect of life. You need prayer? Come to us. We'll pray for you. In fact, just look to the person on your left. If you don't know them, just say, hey, would you pray for me? I've got this thing going on in my life. And they'll talk to God for you, about you, with you. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Together, we, we are not physically related to you, but we're spiritually related to you. And when you have a problem that you're going through, when you're suffering, when you're struggling, we're here to go through it with you. You're not alone in that. All your other friends may forsake you. All your family may leave you, but we will still be here to pray with you, to pray for you, to pray on you if you just won't repent of your sin. You get us. I don't know if that's worth giving up the riches of the world. You don't understand how valuable the church is. Well, I've had bad church experience. It's the imperfect people of God who needed Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for our sins because we couldn't do it on our own. If we could have done good without him, we wouldn't need him and we wouldn't even need to each other. I knew that was going to go over like a lead rock. <laughs> you also get access to the life of Jesus. Look at what he said. He considered the reproach of Christ more incredible wealth, more incredible wealth than the treasures of Egypt. You get access to Jesus. You get to live like Jesus, sacrificing your life for other people. You guys don't seem so excited today. I... If I told you you would get more riches than Jeff Bezos, you'd be like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. I want the, that's what I want. But when I say you get to sacrifice your life for others like Jesus sacrificed his life for us, you get to suffer for people who will probably reject you for the suffering and won't appreciate it. Because sometimes we don't appreciate the suffering that Jesus went through to save us from our sins. We don't appreciate the cross. We get to represent Jesus on this earth and share the gospel. We, 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 as messed up as we are, get to share the love of God through Jesus with people who don't know that love. We get to watch people go from death to life. 
We get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them so that they can come to an understanding of salvation. And we get to share that with them so that the Spirit of God can touch their heart, transform their lives, save them from their sins. You get to see people go, and I'll say it again, from death to life. You get the ability to do that, to share the gospel. Moses believed that the highest way to live life was to give your life to, to the lives of others. Jesus said this in John 15, 13, Greater love has no man than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest love that you can ever experience is to give your life up for other people. Moses believed that the greatest riches there were were not Jeff Bezos' money. It was the literal sacrifice of that money for the people of God who are going to complain and who are going to fight and they're going to struggle and they're going to strive. That's the reward. You get the church and you get Jesus. Yeah, your amens are a little soft. Here's the third thing you get. You get to see God. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses on the mountain stood on holy ground. Could you imagine standing on holy ground today? Seeing and experiencing God for yourself, but being so humbled by it, you can't even look at him. Being so humbled by the presence of God that you could just barely be on your face. But you know that God is with you. You know that God is there. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We get access to God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We get forgiveness. So we get the forgiveness of God. And we not only know it because somebody's told us we've been forgiven. We feel forgiven. We sense forgiveness. We get forgiveness. And it's humbling to know that an almighty God, a, a holy God, a righteous God, would sacrifice his son to pay for my sins because I know what I've done and I know what I do. And yet he loved me enough to give his, give his life for me. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us there with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time to help in the time of need. We get to, listen, when we pray, we're talking to the creator God. Do you get that? When we pray, we are communicating, connecting with, getting access to creator God. The almighty God. The God that mountains move when he wants them to move. The God that changes circumstances. The God that moves on our behalf. We get access to him through Jesus Christ, yes. But we have access to God. What would you give up to get, if you would just get access to Jeff Bezos' money? You know what? The truth is most of us would give up a lot if we could just have access 
to his checking account. We wouldn't take a lot. What's a few billion to a billionaire? Right? I mean, when you, once you've got a hundred billion, you're not going to miss three. But how many of us would give our life for that world before we give our life for the world that God has for us? You get access to God. What is that worth to you? Christian, what is that worth to you? That you know no matter what you go through, no matter what struggle you're in, you can call upon God and you'll hear your prayers, you'll hear your cry. What would it be worth to you? What would you give up for that? You get the church. You get the Christ. And you get to call upon the Almighty God. What does the world have to offer that's even close to that? A church filled with people that don't know you, but they love you anyway. And they want to help you, and they want to encourage you and provoke you unto love and good works. You get to give your life to the greatest life you could have, and that is to sacrifice your life for the life of others. It's what Jesus did for you, and he's asking us to do that for him. And you get access to God. What is greater? Tell me. Tell me. What can Jeff Bezos' money that God can't do, do, do that God can't do? What is it about this world that you're so drawn to that you'll choose it over choosing to give your life to God? Are you, looking to the are you looking at the reward as a reward? Are you seeing things the same way that God sees them? God's ways are not our ways. So to God, these are great things. You get his people. You get his son's life. And you get access to the almighty God. And God says there's nothing greater than that. Now, the immature believer, the 40-year-old that doesn't want to grow up, is still going to strive to get everything he can out of the world. All of his time, all of his effort, all of his energy is going to be focused on trying to earn a living and trying to experience life the way we want it to. I'm not saying vacations are bad. I'm just saying that when that's your whole focus... Like your whole goal in life is to vacation. You'll learn that you're going to spend two weeks getting ready to go, a week going, and then you're going to spend two weeks getting back. That's camping for you, by the way. <laughs> what does the world have to offer that comes even close to what God is offering you? See, I think the problem is we don't see these things as rewards. Moses did. When he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When you grow up, are you going to refuse to stop pursuing the things of the world? Start pursuing the things of God? Are you going to stop 
living your life for things that are going to become nothing. You know, there's no, Jeff Bezos' money is going to go away one day. He's going to pass it off to some climate change guy, and they're going to, they're going to make it rain in Astoria. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They were, we already did that, right? Wouldn't you rather have a people in your life that have to love you because they're so loved by their own God and who would support you and encourage you even in things your family may not say to you, they will say to you because they love you enough to care about what you're doing. The greatest life you could live is to give your life for other people. One of the things that my kids know, and they have made the statement that they know that at least their father's given his life for other people. I'd rather be known for the fact that I've sacrificed my life for people than I lived it selfishly for myself. I think that's the highest honor you can get is for people to say to you, thank you for giving your life for me. And there's so many of you who've given your life to kingdom things. I've got a children's ministry full of workers who sacrifice every week what they could have for your children. Why? Because they'd rather be known for loving your children, sacrificing for your children, than living for themselves. Aren't you tired of religion? Don't you want something real from God? Don't you want to really hear from God? Wouldn't that humble you? Wouldn't that be amazing? For God to see what you see and want to do something about it with you? See, I believe in every one of us there's a point in time where we're going to have to grow up. We're going to have to grow up and we're going to have to start getting serious about this thing of God. Like I said earlier, if you're in this Christianity thing for a year, let us take care of you. You're seven years old. We're not expecting you to cook and clean. We'll clean up your messes. We'll love you through it. We'll discipline you when you're wrong. Don't take it personal. It's just business. If you're 14... We get that you're struggling with this faith. You've been in it a couple of years. You're struggling with it. We get it. Let us help you. Let us, if I could use the term, parent you. If you're 21, we know you think you're going to know everything. Or we think you know everything. Why don't you just listen to the more mature people in your life? I wish every 21-year-old would just listen to the more mature people in their life. The more mature Christian, the more mature believer. Because you're going to find out fast enough that you don't know what you think you know. If you're 28, you're going to start having kids pretty soon. You've probably got a job. You've got a family. You're going to start getting serious about this God thing. Why don't you just make it a choice to get serious about God? I was 28 when I became a deacon. It's when I started to realize I've got to stop living for me and I've got to start living for God. If you're 35, 
You're almost dead. <laughs> Spiritually, you've been in it five years. And at five years, you have two ways to go. You can either walk away. Because at five years, you're going to start getting bored after five years. You're either going to get bored or you're going to want everybody else to do everything for you. And nobody wants to take care of a 35-year-old baby. If you've been in it six plus years, what choice have you made? Have you chose to live for you or have you chose to live for God? If you chose to live for God, you're going to get God's people. You're going to get the life of Jesus. You're going to get access to God. I think I just messed my hair up. <laughs> what choice did you make? Or what choice are you going to make? Because, see, I believe that choice can still be made, even though you might be 20 years in Christianity. I still believe you can make the choice now t to step into ministry and actually serve God the way that he wants you to. See, I still believe that there's a superhero that's in you because the scripture says greater is he that is in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. Amen. What would happen to the church if when you grew up you just refused the world and chose to be mistreated with the people of God. At some point, you're going to make that choice. Some of you may have already made it. I would encourage you to choose the reward. Let's stand, please. Father, I believe the potential in this room to be the church that you've called us to be, to be the Christians you've shown us to be, and to be the people of God that you want us to be has never been greater. I believe in this room there is supernatural power that you want to pour out on us. But you're waiting for a people to surrender their lives to you. You're waiting for people to refuse to be called the son of the world, the daughter of the world, and choose. They would choose to suffer affliction with the people of God. They would choose to live more of a Christ-like life to suffer, to sacrifice, and to serve other people, even though they might be rejected for it. I would love to see what would happen to this, these people if they were open to hearing from you. And I wonder what you would say to them and how you would encourage them and how you would help them and where you would send them.
Father, I believe with all my heart, we don't have much time left on this earth. And I think you're just waiting on us. I think you might be waiting on someone in this room to refuse the world. And to choose to follow you fully. Father, I believe that every time we preach the word of God, there should be a response. I think you're speaking to people today that are struggling right now with that choice. So we're going to open the floor up, Father, for you to keep speaking to them, to just encourage them, to help them. To make sure they're hearing from you and not from me. Draw us close to you at this moment, Father. That we would choose what's better. In Jesus, we pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. What are you going to choose today? Are you going to choose to ignore what God's saying? choose today best place to make that choice is between you and God up at this altar yeah you can pray where you're seated but you know there's something about stepping out getting up on the mountaintop getting on your knees before an almighty God where he's humbling you and he's making you helping you to make a decision for him I don't play church. I think this is serious. I think this is real. I think this is true. This is a moment where God's trying to get you to make a decision for him. Let's make some decisions right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Altars open. Come ahead. Choose wisely. life you get to choose is a life for God. You might actually be the deliverer of people. He might call you to something greater than you ever imagined. You might be the next pastor of New Life Church. Say, he'll never choose me. That's what I said too. But I had to surrender before he sent me.
this could very well be that mountaintop experience that God is bringing to you. This might be your holy ground. This might be that place where you have to get on your face before the Almighty God and surrender your life to Him. Today would be the day to do that if He's calling you to it. Maybe you just need to surrender some aspects of your life to God today. Start living for something greater than yourself. Heavenly Father, I just can't seem to stand. You are offering us a life that we, I think, maybe can't even imagine right now. Maybe they can't see the benefits of the reward, Father. I, I, I don't know. But I know Moses became a great man of God because he trusted you and he surrendered his life to you. And he led millions of people out of bondage. Father, maybe there's just one person in our life that we are called to lead out of bondage, lead out of their sins into a saving grace of Jesus Christ. we not give up our life that they might have life in Christ? Would we not sacrifice everything that we have for a soul that's suffering under the bondage of sin? Father, we've got a friend that's an addict. Would we not give our life up for them that they might be free from the bondage of that sin? Finally, Father, I want to thank you for those who have done this. I've watched them grow up and make a choice to make Jesus their life. To make the church their life. To make God their life. Father, I pray that you honor them today. Let them know that they've done so by faith. not just a word to them. This is a deed. This is an action. This is a life. Encourage their hearts, Father. As we leave this place, let us not let this message leave our hearts. Let your voice become louder and louder and louder in their hearts until they surrender their life to something greater. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Come on, let's hear it. We love you, Jesus. Come on, we love you, Jesus. My life is your life, Jesus. I'm surrendering myself to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people loudly said, have a great day, guys. I love you. God bless. See you next week. Don't forget your kids.
Jesus. Yes.